Welcome to the Working Mom's Guide to Sanity podcast, your go-to resource for support, advice, and inspiration as you navigate the challenges of balancing your ambitious career dreams and your family. Each week, I'll bring you interviews with powerhouse working moms who will share their insights on how they manage to find sanity while juggling their demanding jobs and kids. I'm your coach, Elizabeth Pearson. I'm an executive coach for women in male-dominated fields, and boy, have I heard it all. I've experienced a lot. I'm a mother of two young girls, and the women that I interview somehow built these businesses, climbed the ranks of corporate America, and followed their dreams all while being a mother and clinging to their sanity. And you can do it too. Each week, I'll show you how. And today's guest is Jess Cording. She is somebody that I met because I started following her on Instagram and she's incredible. She's a registered dietitian, an integrative nutrition health coach, a podcaster, and she's also got a couple amazing books under her belt that she's written. And on today's show, we talked about how to know if you might have some trauma or trauma energy that is affecting you physically, right? So a lot of times we think of trauma just as being something that mentally we could be suffering with, but we talk about the physical suffering that can happen as well from it if you're holding on to this energy. And she's great. We talk about what what are the signs to look for, what you can do if you do feel like you're holding on to trauma. We talk about how a lot of times women can turn into workaholics. Um, and then of course we wrap it all up with some spirituality, which you know you're always gonna get from me. So I hope you enjoy this episode. It was a lot of fun to record. Welcome to the show, Jess Cording. I am super excited for our chat today. Jess is not only a highly respected nutritionist and dietitian, but she is somebody who's become a fast friend. I was a guest on her amazing podcast, which is Drama-Free Healthy Living, and we talked about a lot of stuff. We talked about careers, but today I thought it would be really fun to have Jess come and talk to us about how traumas can actually kind of stay within our body long after the timing of when they happen. And I feel like this is something that doesn't get a lot of airtime. I feel like it's more about what should we eat? What, what should we not eat? But there's this whole other piece to physical health. And part of it can be healing and moving past some of these traumas. So Jess, thanks so much for being a guest today. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. It's just so nice to reconnect with you and to have, you know, more of keep the conversation going. And yeah, you know, this is a topic that's just very, you know, very close to home and something I've seen affect that people so much. So it's great that you're shedding some light on the stuff. Yeah. I feel like we're spiritual soul sisters. Like, I feel like everybody knows that, right? You have the girlfriends who you can get like really kind of woo-woo spiritual with and kind of talk about these other dimensions and stuff. And Jess is that girl as well, which is why I love that you were really kind of highlighting this other piece to wellness. So if you will provide a little bit of background for our listeners on your journey and how you got to be where you are and maybe a little bit about your book, Farewell Tour, A Caregiver's Guide to Stress Management, Sane Nutrition, and Better Sleep. Yeah. And, you know, it's, I have someone who I've used my experiences, you know, the struggles to really help me grow and help others who are dealing with that thing. You know, I'm a registered dietitian, health coach, and a certified Pilates instructor. You know, I've worn a lot of hats. But one thing that's been a more recent, you know, piece in my career evolution is really talking more about the emotional and spiritual side of wellness. 
and how that connects with the more physical side. That mind-body connection, I grew up being taught about that. You know, my mother is a psychotherapist, but also a certified hypnotherapist. So I grew up with a a, a lot of exposure to complementary and alternative healing modalities. So it's always been a part of my That's own experience. Amazing. I'm so jealous. Um, but growing up, you know, and I talked about this um, in, in other contexts, but, you know, my mother, if I had a sore throat, you know, my dad was like, okay, here's some cough syrup. We're going to knock this thing out. And my mother was like, yes, but also that's your throat chakra. Do you feel blocked? What do you feel like you need to say? And as a, as a, I, she became a, a hypnotherapist when I was, I think, 11, 12 years old. So as a teen, kind of getting to have that perspective and those conversations was really, it really shaped me in a lot of ways. Unfortunately, like so many, you know, people, I don't want to say women because this affects men as well. But when I was a teenager, I did experience sexual assault and the PTSD from that was at times debilitating. You know, I, I kept it private for a very, very long time. I was internalized, like many people, I internalized a lot of the shame and I numbed out, you know, through, I learned very quickly, alcohol, drugs, those were not going to be my things. I was was not that. But I really um, numbed out with work, like the workaholism aspect of deal, like keeping my PTSD at arm's length, like that really had some very strong repercussions in terms of my personal life my professional life. And it took me a really long time, almost 20 years to actually be honest about that piece of it with myself and just really acknowledge like, wow, okay, like, yes, maybe on paper, I've accomplished a lot, but at what cost? That was, and that was sort of, um, you know, and that's farewell tour. While I don't talk a lot about my own trauma, I talk a tiny bit about it in that book, but that was when my father was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. That was the beginning of my wake up call. We'll say. Yeah. Tell us more about that. And at some point, I want to go back to this, this thing that you noted as well, and maybe dig a little deeper on it, this, this numbing in the form of workaholism, right? And I feel like maybe some of our working moms who are listening, and it affects dads too, but, or anybody really, it's not just parents, but I do feel like it is the most acceptable form of addiction, that and exercise, food, alcohol, drugs, all of that is very highly shamed. But workaholism is like, woo, look at you, you know, nose to the grindstone. And I see it, too, as like that's not something to carry around like a badge of honor. Like if you are working yourself into dust, then there's a deeper underlying problem. And it sounds like you agree with that. Oh, yeah. Like it's your point. Like we reward productivity and output. Like our society, you know, sees someone who is producing a lot and says, good for you. You know, and I remember yeah. there so many times. And I think one of the signs for me that I really was had a problem with this was that I couldn't celebrate accomplishments. I couldn't stand still long enough to acknowledge my own hard work. And I see this all the time, you know, with my patients, my clients as well. But it was, um, yeah, I mean, there have been so many times throughout my career and I still have this happen sometimes because just because I acknowledge the issue doesn't mean that I am most instantly cured. I think this is going to be something I have to keep in check, you know, for a lot, very long time, if not forever, just to be aware that that's in there. But sometimes we're like, oh, look at all you've accomplished. This is so impressive. And I'd be like, yeah, but do you understand this is pathological? <laughs> like, this is me trying to make up for something. I don't think people really call that out. And a couple of times I lovingly have tried to bring that to the attention of some clients and even friends. And I think as long as there's some financial upside, to your point, if there's some compensation 
or it's feeding the ego on some level, then it's really not something they view as problematic. It's a harmless crime, if you will. And at the end of the day, though, I love that you said, like, at what cost? Because I always try to explain to clients, too, like, yes, you're making whatever X amount of money is, but what is it costing you? So what were some of the things it was costing you upon reflection? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think the first most obvious one, you know, came to light when I was 31 years old. My father was diagnosed with advanced pancreatic cancer. And it just everything changed. I, um, like I said, I was in my early 30s. I was living and working in New York City. I, um, I joke sometimes that in some ways, you know, people say, oh, you're, you know, it's like sex in the city. You know, you're living and you're writing and working and dating. And in some ways, yes. But it was also like, okay, well, if Carrie Bradshaw wore custom orthotics and a lab coat, like I just, yeah. I worked and worked and worked. And like, yes, I had relationships or situationships more like, you know, I had been single for a very long time. But when my, my father was diagnosed, I hadn't so much as been on a date in a year and I barely ever saw my family. My social life was almost non-existent and just spiritually, I just, there was nothing there. I was working seven days a week. I was exhausted. I was also probably exercising too hard. I didn't, you know, I did, it would take me a little while to understand that having the right balance of, um, you know, strength and cardio and rest is really about, you know, there's this optimal balance. I as a Sagittarius, I am, uh, you know, I, I need to like do something with all that fire. So exercise is something I've naturally tended towards, but there's definitely a fine line. And yeah. I, I had a history of overuse injuries for sure in my, in my backstory. Yeah. And I feel like rest is the new four letter word for women. Like they just, yes. it feels like you're caving on, like there's, I don't know, like you're conceding on some level if you say, I need to rest. And I like you love a good workout. And I do have a voice in my head that if I don't, you know, get steps in or I don't go to the gym, she's not happy. And sometimes I have to check her like, you know what? No, no, no. It's actually not good to like weight train, same muscles every day. Like we don't need to right. be doing this. And I have um, somebody that I know who wakes up at 4 a.m., uh, and she's a mom of an eight-year-old. She wakes up at 4 a.m. and gets on her elliptical machine in her basement and does two hours on the elliptical machine every single morning, starts emails for those two hours, takes a break, gets the kid off to school, and then sprints, you know, home to work. And then that goes again until about six o'clock at night. And she's somebody who had an eating disorder in the past. And from where I'm sitting, and I think she has some awareness of it as well, but it's like, oh, okay, we just traded that for this. But like, it's oh, to wow. me, it seems very obvious. It's like, okay, but sometimes people aren't necessarily open to hearing it. So is there anything anybody could have said to you when you were in, you know, kind of like the Carrie Bradshaw of it all or whatever, when you were just constantly grinding yourself that could have maybe opened up a window of, you know, awareness around it? Or do you feel like it's a journey that people need to have on their own and have that awakening as you did? when your father became ill? Wow, that is such a beautiful question because, man, it's tough, right? Because like looking back, you know all these things that you didn't know then. But in the moment, you know, I think I had this whole story in my head. Like I had um, just worked my ass off to get where I was. And I think I had a certain degree of, you know, there was a bit of a control thing. You know, there was only so much in my life that I couldn't control and working a ton yeah. was one of those things. But I think if someone had said to me, you should take a break. 
I would have been like, oh, F you, like, forget it. No. Right. Um, but I think if someone had approached me and really invited me to look at the overall scope of my life, you know, to kind of put it. I mean, I was also at that age where I was watching friends settle down, get married, start having babies. I yeah. couldn't keep a plant alive. And I, I think I was very sensitive to that. You know, I think if someone had tried to suggest to me, you're not getting any younger, I would have been really angry and probably retreated even further. Right. But I think if someone had said to me to really examine the quality of my relationships and to really acknowledge, um, you know, where I might deepen some of those relationships and really experience a better quality of relationships in my life, I think that might have been something that I would have responded to a little better. I mean, no one could have said, you know, one day your your dad's going to die really soon. Like you should, you should get on that. But obviously if I had known that that was coming, you know, I um, certainly yeah. would have gotten off the hamster wheel a little bit sooner than I did. So maybe it is an angle of, I, mean, I think that this is just a really good topic. So I'm liking that we're kind of like spending a little bit of time here, Jess, because I do feel like we all have that girlfriend or or maybe we're that person, right? Who is like not quite sure if they're a workaholic or, but I love how you said that this was a result of the traumatic events that happened to you in your adolescence. And I think it's very easy to just blame the situation presently, right? So it's like, well, my job right now is laying off people, so I have to compensate for their lost productivity and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, this is what I always try to explain to clients too, when they're like, well, I don't know if I should take that promotion or that new job because it's going to cost a lot, right? It's going to be way more responsibility. And I look at them and I'm like, it's irrelevant. It's your boundaries. Like, you know, it's like we have, when Obama was president, I'm not going to talk about our other one, but I, he got shit done at least, you know, but like he still slept at night. He still worked out. I mean, if the president can find time for a workout and family time, you can too. Like, so I really feel like it is more this this readiness to collapse boundaries because it is more of a numbing, right? It's a distraction from the pain and the trauma that might be living not only within our heart, but within our bodies. I think on some level, I was terrified of what would happen if I stood still long enough to hear all those inner thoughts. You know, I made, I, you know, I made up stories. You know, I was like, I need to pay my bills. I'm a single woman and paying, you know, a mortgage in Manhattan. I need to, but total BS. Like, you right. know, I would have figured it out. And I think there was also the element of, you know, one of the reasons I had a hard time going home to where my parents lived was that that was where it all had happened. Yeah. You know, and I think that there were those those memories related to the physical place. And I wasn't internally, I hadn't done enough processing and strengthening, you know, spiritually, emotionally to really be able to go back to that place and feel centered and stable. Um, so that was another another piece of it. And it was easier to just avoid it. You know, it was, it was like the the Hallmark heroine who, uh, the career girl who hates Christmas and never goes home, you know, right. that was like that with me for, for a really long time. But then did that also prevent you from getting that time with your father that you wish you could have had then prior to his death? So what was fascinating was that in like an instant, it all went away. I just, I remember very distinctly feeling like, you know, after we got his official diagnosis, I just remember it was like, I felt like I was on a vacation from my PTSD. I was like, you know what? I don't really care about how too much I am, how not enough I am. I don't care like all the stuff that I've been through. If people think less of me right now, my family is my priority and just staying alive. Like that was kind of it. And I was fascinated to see, you know, so what I will say, I, with a diagnosis like 
advanced pancreatic cancer to the point where it's metastasized to the point of being unstageable. It's spread wherever the hell it wants. You know, they tell you get your affairs in order. In a weird way, it was, um, it really helped us prioritize the important things. I find that, you know, from working in the oncology field as a dietitian, I find that sometimes other types of cancers where there is more of a survival, the higher survival rate, mm-hmm. um, it's different. You know, you kind of go into sprint mode and you're like, all right, we're going to beat this thing. And that's all you think about. And with, with this, like, yes, there was trying the trial drugs and dealing with all the chemotherapy things. But then it was also like spending time together, just knowing that it was finite. We didn't know how finite. His doctors had said maybe a few months. He ended up living 15 months, which with that, uh, with that, illness that advanced stage is like almost unheard of it was and he felt really good almost the whole time like he had a really good quality of life i think because these drugs were so helpful Mm -hmm. um and the location of the tumor was in a convenient spot for that weirdly that's a weird thing to say but it's a weird silver lining but yeah i think it gave us that chance to maybe not like recapture all the lost time but to really make sure that you know there was nothing left unsaid we really got to enjoy those last those last 15 months and after he passed away like i was in the room when it happened and i remember like wondering like okay like am i going to go back to that like everything that right. i used to do in that life and it was like all the walls have come down it was like you know i'm sick of hiding my feelings and pretending that I'm okay and that I'm, I'm tired of numbing out and pretending like if people have yeah. a problem with this being who I am, so be it. They're not my people. I mean, um, I think you're in the headspace to, to be able to hear this now, but like what a gift. Like, I mean, it's awful that, you know, you don't have his physical form here to hug or do those things that you want. But the the final gift that he gave you of this huge awakening and and I think it's a gift too. anytime we can be present when somebody passes, you know, like to be able to be there and have those moments where you really can be authentic and say exactly what he means to you. And I mean, how many people lose parents or loved ones without ever taking that opportunity or having that opportunity to hold their hand or be in the room? And now, too, you know, I'm sure people who are dealing with loss and I've never had a significant loss in my life. I've had, you know, grandparents and stuff when I was little. So I'm, you know, don't know what I'm talking about on a certain level, but like to have that powerful spiritual guide now that can be with you. I'm sure you feel him with you, not only in major moments, but probably just whenever you want to feel him, he's there. It's fascinating. Like if I, even if I hadn't believed in that stuff prior to his passing, I would believe it now just based on some of the experience I've had. And he comes to me in my dreams sometimes and I'll have like a very specific message to share and it's. And it's an it's an interesting barometer for me, like growing up very open to all this, you know, there being more than what we can see. I've always gotten messages in my dreams. And, you know, I've, I've always, you know, my intuition to me, it's kind of like this inner pilot way. Like so many decisions I make in my life are based on a feeling. And a lot of the ways that I choose to take care of myself was really about keeping that light lit, you know, like yeah. trying not to, and it's going to dampen that. But, um, you know, the dreams where he would appear to me, um, where it was like genuinely felt like a true visitation, like they have this very calm feeling, this like just everything is, is calm and, and very warm and, and happy. And it's it's been a good measure for me of when I have other dreams that are similar in nature, but maybe some someone else. It helps me differentiate like what's just like a dream that's just residue from the day or anxiety yeah. dreams and what's like a true 
message. So that's been very interesting as well. But just oh, and God, little things too in waking life. What's your angel sign for him? I feel like we've talked about this like offline. Because like, like, I was like, uh, I, and it's prob- people probably get annoyed with me. But the second somebody passes, I'm like, did you find out their angel sign before they passed? And right. sometimes people don't yeah. know what that is, but we talk about it. But I'm sure you have something that you correlate with his presence or him sending you messages in physical form. Well, yeah, for me, feathers became a symbol when I was about, it happened about, I was about 27 and I just, 26, 27, I started finding feathers everywhere and very strange places. And it was a very a time in my life where I was really asking for and needing guidance. And yeah. I remember feeling very connected to something at a time during a very dark time. But when my my dad passed, you know, and I he knew about me and the feathers and, you know, we kind of talked about that being a sign. But yeah. after, right after he passed, my mother and sister. So my mom found a feather as they were leaving the hospital after he passed away. And then my sister found a feather the next day, if I'm remembering correctly. And then at the wake, I'm there. I'm like, what the hell? I'm the one with the feathers. Where's my feather? Like, what the hell? <laughs> you know? Right. And so what was really funny was, so my dad um, worked in the music industry, which is where the book, The Farewell Tour comes from, because he he kind of referred to the last months of his life as the farewell tour, because as he put it, once they know you're dying, everybody wants a piece of you. Right. And at the, so throughout the book, I actually interview a number of the artists that he worked with and get their stories from just life on the road and like being well and what they learned, you know, emotionally, physically, spiritually about about that. I like in the caregiver journey much to being on tour with a band, very similar wear and tear. But right. at the wake, I'm I'm standing there by the casket and in walks um, Willie Nino, really talented American singer songwriter and just one of the just loveliest people you will ever meet. But he he walks in, he's got this giant feather necklace on. I know. Yes. Well played, rap, Dad. Well played. All right. He was saving the biggest one for you. I mean. It's yeah, a girlfriend reached out. One of her her best friend's father died and they were very close. And this guy was kind of like the dad of the neighborhood, right? Like everybody loved this guy. And she was really upset and she was getting ready to travel back. And I said, well, let's come up with an angel sign for him. So she came up with a cardinal. And then she called me after um, the memorial, memorial where she was driving home with her best friend, who was the daughter of the man who had passed. And she said there was this really aggressive cardinal who was like dive bombing the car as they were driving. She's like, we weren't in a forest. We weren't in a park. We were like on the expressway. And there is this cardinal dive bombing our windshield. And I'm like, right. So like, how couldn't that be him? Right. But I do think you have to say it, you know, like, I love that you guys had the dialogue before he passed of like, feathers are the thing, you know, Um, and that's how we can be really embraced by this spiritual realm. But I do, I want to come back to this place of like, the traumas that can present themselves in your physical body. So what might be some symptoms or signs or red flags that could be coming from your physical form that maybe there's some past trauma that is still lingering within your energy field? Yeah. So one I'll start with, you know, that I experienced firsthand was insomnia. That is a Mm. classic trauma response issue. So, you know, difficulties falling asleep, staying asleep um, that lasts for more than two weeks. And there's many types of insomnia as well, but that that for me was a big one. Um, but some other would ways- you like go back to the the trauma when your mind wasn't able to sleep, or so, was it just kind of like monkey mind? Not always, more monkey mind stuff. Okay. But I found that um, you know another thing that shows up sometimes 
and sometimes it'll be delayed. You know, very often there's this period where someone is just kind of dissociated and then they get triggered and then they're reliving it. And I went, I went through that a lot. Um, times where I would just space out and I, I, is it okay that we talk about sex on this podcast? Yeah, of course. We talk about yeah, everything. Like, we drop F-bombs. We talk about everything. Okay, great. Like this, sex was really hard for a really long time. And even even now I've been, you know, happily married for for years. Like I still have moments, like not not as often, but like every once in a great while, if there is if the trauma has somehow already been triggered a little bit, I'll have to step back and be like, wait a minute, like Jess, this is your husband who loves you. Like just talk to him about this. Like where but whereas like, you know, relationships in the past, I I would just just blank out. Or I would push myself right. to do things. Just I wasn't... get through it. Yeah. Like, my I... God, see, next layer soul sister. Say, I have the, everything you're saying, same thing. There was um, sexual assault in high school. And then again, the beginning of college. And sex has always been that Achilles heel of like, okay, like, I know that this is supposed to be a loving act, but it feels weird. Like something doesn't feel quite right. And yeah, I mean, I've been married for, it's going to be 16 years next week. And it's, my husband couldn't be more everything that you want in a man and at the same time it is it so i love that you actually brought up sex because i think there are a lot of women who say oh i've just been married a long time or we've been in a relationship or i'm so busy with work right another distraction that i just don't have any sex drive and i just i'm actually not even attracted to my husband anymore so do you feel like that could be it or there could be maybe some past trauma or conditioning around sex that could be at play that's fascinating because that's so nuanced, right? Like there's our, our feelings about sex, we get informed from so many different places, you know? And I think I'm curious to see what today's, like girls who are teens now, like I'm yeah. so curious to see what it's like for them when they're, you know, in their 30s, 40s, like and on. But like, I think it could depend on the person. Like I think that there's often unacknowledged trauma just from speaking with patients and clients over the years about their relationships to their bodies and yeah. what they do with their bodies um, that can come from different types of trauma as well. You know, today we're, t I, my story has primarily been about trauma related to sexual abuse, but yeah. there could be other traumas, big T traumas, little T traumas that impact how they feel about their body, how comfortable they are in their skin or their ability to trust others. And it is so much easier to just turn it off. Like I had, it was kind of easy to not have sex for an entire year. Like, and totally. that's not just vibrators are a thing. Like right. that's I I'd be I would kind of have to remind myself. Oh, hey, you have this device that like you know you can. Right. You know, I, I, I joke we're like, like camels. We could go years. I mean, there are lots of women who just like don't like. There's it, there's it's just not really on the agenda. It's really not something that's even prioritized or paid attention to. Yeah, and I'm curious to see like again like if that if that might change because I think we are taught to put that aspect of our lives on the back burner. Because, yeah. you know, unless you're making children, it's not productive. Like anything pleasurable is like, and I, you know, I, in my work, this comes up most when we're talking about food that is pleasurable. But in other realms, you know, people are like things that they're not, um, but like, you know, if it's like pleasurable activities, leisure time, rest, like, and I find that, yes, like with, with sex, trauma can play a really big role. But I think it can also just be conditioning of like, if it's just recreational, like it's, right. you know, and I. And all the other reasons that women might not want to have sex with their partner. Like I, you know, I, I joke about this. Like I interviewed um sex sex therapist Emily Morris on my podcast recently. Mm -hmm. That she she said something about she's like, Well, like I need the house to be clean, I need the bed to be made, like the dishwasher needs to be sat. I'm like, Yes, you're speaking my language. Like, yes. 
just um, there's so many reasons. Right. Okay. So we've got insomnia. We've got obviously workaholism. We talked about that in the beginning, some sexual stuff going on. Are there any other like big symptoms or red flags that maybe could use a little bit more attention that could be a sign that you're holding on to trauma? So, you know, something that comes up a lot, you know, whether it's overt issues with eating, sometimes we will see yeah. things like binge eating or restricting, you know, those are two, two ways that that can show up. Or sometimes just um, the body's inability, not the inability, but sometimes when we're under a lot of stress, which we may or may not recognize as underlying trauma, you know, those stress hormones, for example, cortisol can play a really big impact on things like our immune system, weight management. Like I have seen so often somebody might be checking the boxes, so to speak, in terms of eating well, exercising. But if they're not sleeping well, if their stress is not managed, um, that can make it really hard to get to a comfortable weight for their body. And I yeah. see it more often with weight loss efforts being difficult. But I've also it can also happen with people who are having a difficult time gaining weight and maintaining a healthy weight, too. Like it's not all about having trouble losing weight, but the, that is more common. Someone might notice they're more injury prone if their immune system is off. You know, other things like difficulty focusing, having a hard time with conversation or other relationships. I know we've ta been talking about intimate relationships, but if somebody has a difficult time feeling comfortable, feeling relaxed, trusting, it can be really hard to connect to others, whether that's friendships, colleagues. Um, that was something I had to watch out for. Um, I, When I was younger, I had a very hard time trusting like people, making friends, trusting yeah. colleagues enough to relax. And that was that was a big deal for me. Um, yeah. And I think part of that, too, is like asking for support, right? Like there's the yes. other piece is like the trust. But then there's so many women out here that are like running on empty, white knuckling it, trying to get through. And a lot of this, like I want to preface this was like is societal. Like I really do feel like there is a war on women and moms. And I just don't feel like women are valued in this country. And God, don't even get me started. Right. With like the other like once you start going to like the minority groups, the value just compounds at lower, right? Exponentially. But I, so that is part of it, ladies. It's not like, oh, it's just me and my trauma. And now I got to try to figure this out while I'm doing all right. this other shit. It's not that. It's not about putting it back. It's just about having some awareness, right? We just want to find these little levers to pull. So if somebody does acknowledge this within themselves, what do you feel like is a great first step to try to heal that trauma and get back on that road to recovery, not productivity, but more so like feeling at peace and whole. So, I mean, what you said about having a hard time receiving help or asking for help, I think that's important to pay attention to. I think that's another very big manifestation. So if you, it might feel really hard, but seeking help is probably one of the best first steps. So I, I do encourage therapy. You know, I think uh, your insurance provider's website is a great starting place. There's also a lot of lower cost options. There's hotlines like the RAIN hotline for sexual assault and other types of special, um, you know, in terms of mental health needs, there are other hotlines available where you can get support or reaching out to friends, colleagues, family members, someone, you know, people you do trust. Yeah. But that's the basics of really getting honest with yourself about, you know, the specific areas in your life where maybe that manifestation is present. So is it showing up in your diet? You know, maybe you would benefit from working with a dietitian or at the very least focus on stabilizing your blood sugar through having the right balance of protein, fat and carbs. Or maybe you work exercise into your routine in a mindful way, or you learn to, you know, you focus on dialing it back, scheduling yeah. rest. But I think it does depend, you know, once you acknowledge that you are dealing with some trauma that's affecting your life. I think another, you know, 
pay attention to where it's showing up. Yeah. And that will give you some clues as to where to start making some changes and with with support. I cannot stress that enough. I know it's scary to ask for help. It's even scarier sometimes to receive help, but you don't have to do it alone. And create an environment, right, that supports you or encourages you to get some outside help. And like, I love all of your content. So everything's linked um, in the show notes. But follow Jess on Instagram, listen to her podcast, read her books, like, I do feel like we need some nutrition for our minds and our brains too. And a lot of it is like, I always tell people to go on like a detox and it's not about just not being on your phone because we're all going to be on our phones, but it's like, who are you following, right? And who are you feeding your brain with content every day? Be You can be on Instagram and TikTok, but like have the algorithm work for you. Like start finding some people to follow that are empowering and are going to give you these wonderful little shortcuts, these little cliff notes, if you will, of like, okay, this is what it is and here's what you can do about it. But I love your point about like getting potential like therapist help, EMDR is great. But I love too, like I'm going to channel your mom here and like, I mean, do some energy work if you're cool with that. Like try Reiki, try Hawaiian energy therapies, like try acupuncture. There's all sorts. Try hypnosis. I've tried hypnosis a couple times and I swear it worked, EFT tapping, like there's so many wonderful resources. So if you're not at the place where you're ready to book an appointment with a therapist or you've done talk therapy in the past and it wasn't something that you felt like was a good use of your time, then play around with some of these other things, right? And see if those create some space for you to actually get back in touch with yourself, right? And maybe be able to at least see where some of these old energies are stagnant in your body. Yes. Cheers to all of that. That is, yes, you are speaking my language. Yay. Okay. Thank you again, Jess Cording, everybody. Links are in the show notes. Follow her. Listen to her incredible podcast, Drama-Free Healthy Living. I was a guest on it. She is an incredible interviewer, and I just feel like it's power-packed. It's great to do a walk and listen to your show. Also pick up the book, The Farewell Tour, A Caregiver's Guide to Stress Management, um, Sane Nutrition, and Better Sleep. Thank you so much for being our guest, Jess. Well, thanks for having me. 